0: Welcome to The World of Migration, a podcast from the Migration Policy Institute that seeks to spotlight interesting trends, policy developments, and voices on myriad aspects of immigration around the globe in a way that goes beyond the headlines. My name is Susan Fratsky, and I am a Senior Policy Analyst with MPI. Today we'll be looking at innovations that are taking place in the refugee protection space around the opportunities that refugees have to resettle in other countries. And not a moment too soon, because the number of refugees internationally has reached a record level. The UN Refugee Agency, known as UNHCR, estimates that as 2023 began, more than 29 million refugees were under its mandate. Most refugees find a safe haven in the country right next door to their country of origin. And often that's because they want to stay close to home or because they have friends and family nearby. But another important reason refugees stay in neighboring countries is because once someone becomes a refugee, it is actually very, very difficult for them to legally travel and move to another country. One of the only ways that most refugees can move to another country is through refugee resettlement but the number of places available for resettlement to refugees globally has typically been very low compared to the need. Uh, Just about 2% of refugees are actually given the opportunity to relocate to a new country each year. One of the ways some countries are trying to expand their capacity to resettle more refugees is through something known as private sponsorship. That's when private citizens and community groups are invited into the government's resettlement process. private citizens and communities are able to give their time and financial resources to help support refugees after they arrive depending on the resettlement country private sponsors might be responsible for anything from finding housing for um, refugees and refugee families to paying for uh, refugees expenses in the first few months after they arrive Sponsors also usually help refugees register for school, learn to use transportation, or sign up for public services. Now, the hope behind private sponsorship programs is that sponsors can help to take some of the pressure off of overstretched service providers. And also, uh, by having private citizens and community groups involved in welcoming refugees, governments and um, resettlement programs um, might be able to help to facilitate building social connections and better networks to support new arrivals. In January 2023, the U.S. government announced that it would be starting a refugee sponsorship program called Welcome Poor. And this makes the U.S. one of just a handful of countries globally that offer this kind of resettlement. In the first year of the program, the U.S. State Department has said that it aims to welcome at least 5,000 refugees through private sponsorship, and in June 2023, the very first refugee family arrived under the Welcome Corps sponsorship program. Today, we're going to hear more about Welcome Corps, how it works, and what it might mean for the US resettlement system. I am delighted to welcome to the podcast, Erin Shudi wazinski from Worthington, Minnesota. Erin leads one of the first sponsorship groups to receive a sponsored refugee family under the new Welcome Corps program. She's also herself an immigration lawyer and owner of the firm Kivu Immigration Law in Worthington. Welcome, Erin.
1: Hi, Susan, thanks so much for having me today.
0: So Erin, could you start off by telling us a bit about what it means to be a Welcome Corps sponsor? What do you actually do? What are you actually responsible for?
1: Welcome Corps sponsors step in and take on the responsibilities of a refugee resettlement agency. So instead of a refugee family turning directly to a refugee resettlement agency's case manager, for example, a Welcome Core sponsor will be the individual that um, welcomes the refugee family um, into their new community, um, make sure that all of their basic needs are met, and is committed to um, helping the family get acquainted to their new surroundings and um, in a position of thriving uh, within 90 days of of the family's arrival.
0: And do you have um, financial obligations as part of that?
1: Welcome, core sponsor groups are um, financially obligated to cover the, the cost of living and the cost of the family's basic needs for their first 90 days in the United States. Um, the Department of State uh, indicates that the required um, minimum amount is $2,375 per individual.
0: It sounds like a lot of, uh, potentially a lot of money, depending on the, the size of the family.
1: Yes. So our sponsor group, once we formed it, we thought about how much money can we pool within ourselves, within the group, and how much money could we raise um, within our community. And that helped us determine what size of family we would feel comfortable sponsoring.
0: And then it sounds like, um, from what you described, in, in addition to those financial commitments, then there's also a lot of other, um, a lot of other things that you're taking on in terms of introducing the family to the community and making sure they get connected with the the right services and, and other things that they need.
1: The very first step that we took after forming our Welcome Core sponsor group was completing a Welcome Core plan. And this was a document provided to us by the State Department as a way to think through all of the responsibilities that we would have to have to take in order to really help a new family be successful in our community. And so that Welcome Core um, plan really did focus a lot on what resources in our community already exist that we can simply plug the family into, but then what other, what gaps exist and where are we going to have to um, find capacity within our group to ensure that the family has access to all of the resources that they need. After we submitted that Welcome Core plan, it was um, reviewed by the State Department, and um, the the Welcome Core program within the State Department provided us a bit of feedback. We resubmitted it, and eventually, uh, the Welcome Core program admitted our sponsor group. And from there on, we um, initiated our fundraising efforts, our planning efforts, um, not really knowing how much time we would have before we were matched with a family. We had about two months to um, raise funds and get our act together before um, one afternoon, I received an email um, saying that our um, Welcome Core sponsor group has been matched with a refugee family and we had 72 hours to evaluate whether uh, we would be able to accommodate this family in um, in our town of Worthington, Minnesota. And we um, wholeheartedly and very excitedly um, accepted our match. Um, the State Department told us that the family, um, that they didn't know when the family could arrive, but the family could arrive um, Within seven days. <laughs> so they expected that it would be one to two months, but we would get, um, we would get a minimum of seven days' notice. And um, in reality, that is about the length of time we had um, from the time when the, the group, when we were notified of the, the date the family would arrive to our community.
0: So that, that all sounds really exciting. It also sounds like a lot to, um, to take on for a group of people who aren't doing this as their, um, you know, as their day job. What actually interested you about becoming a sponsor? I mean, what, how, what motivated you to, um, to take on that, that amount of responsibility and, and work for um, a family you had never met?
1: I am an immigration attorney, and I handle many humanitarian-type immigration cases, I work with a lot of asylum seekers and individuals who have family members who live abroad. I recognize that in our community, there are many newcomers that need assistance in integrating into this community. And I have always dreamed of forming a network within our community that could provide support to newcomers. When I heard about the Welcome Corps program uh, as an avenue to support refugees who are, who are new to this country, I thought, what an interesting model. And wouldn't it be neat to get a group of community members together um, and have the, the structure and support of a government agency kind of guiding us through the process, but us being the, the individuals on the ground um, truly facilitating the resettlement of a family.
0: And what about your, um, your fellow sponsors? What brought them together?
1: Our sponsor group is a myriad of people. Um, it's an eclectic group of individuals from many different walks of life. I hosted an information session at my law firm on a cold winter evening back in February when we had first heard about the Welcome Corps program, just to to gauge whether there were individuals in the community who would be interested in forming a group. And I never anticipated there being as much interest as there was. And at that info session, we decided to form one large community group, one large community sponsor group. and. Um, not everybody in the group knew one another prior to that evening, and so as we navigated the 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 application process and the preparation for welcoming the family members, we were also um, getting to know one another and learning about individuals with with unique backgrounds and various skills that they can can bring to the group in supporting the family and in a holistic manner.
0: And. What about the the family who you ended up welcoming? Can you share anything about them? what their story is, where they came from?
1: We are resettling a family of five individuals. This is a three generation family uh, who are originally from the Democratic Republic of congo. Um, the The matriarch of the family. Um, fled the Democratic Republic of Congo in 1997 and has been living in or had been living in Tanzania in a refugee camp ever since. So fast forward more than 25 years, and she has children who were born in the refugee camp and even grandchildren who were born in the refugee camp. So the the family that we welcomed um, is um, you know the the matriarch, two of her daughters, and then one of those daughters has two daughters of her own. So it's a it's a family of five females. The ages range from two years old to forty eight, and um, it's been it's been a joy um, getting to know them, but also um, very eye opening to see you know how challenging it it truly is to move. To a, a brand new country and start a new life.
0: Yeah, what's the experience been like for them moving from, from the Congo to Worthington? I mean, 25 years in a refugee camp is a long time. And then I can imagine uh, things look quite a bit different in, in Worthington. And I, I just note for our listeners, Worthington isn't, isn't a large city. It's, I think the population is about 13,000. Is that right? Somewhere? That's around correct. There. Yeah, and also you know in Minnesota. So I imagine the climate in Minnesota is a lot colder than what they were used to in the Congo, especially in you know, they haven't had a winter yet, but winter is coming up. Um, what's yeah, what's what's that transition been like for them?
1: Well, well, you're right, Susan. Worthington is a a small farming community in southwestern Minnesota. The city is surrounded by cornfields, um, but surprisingly, the city um, does have a very diverse population. There are many ethnicities, many languages spoken in this community, and generally is a fairly welcoming place to newcomers. Um, But as you can imagine, um, this refugee family has been overwhelmed with the transition, understandably so. And, And I think their transition to any new place, whether that's a small town in the upper Midwest of the United States or... A larger city in a different country, it, it would have been a challenging adjustment um, from what they were familiar with. When they arrived, communication has been one of the biggest challenges because the, the family um, has not had English training and no one in our sponsor group um, is familiar with Swahili or Kibembe, the two languages that they speak. And so we've had to rely largely on Google Translate on a day-to-day basis. And then also the, the small number of Swahili speakers um, who, who live in Worthington and have been very generous with, with their time and um, willingness to kind of step in and, and assist us with communication.
0: And what's the reaction been like within the community? You mentioned, of course, Worthington's a a very welcoming place. It's also um, not a stranger to immigration or refugee resettlement, uh, but has a a sizable immigrant and refugee population for many years because of the meatpacking plant that that operates in town. Um, But I also, you know, am aware that there the transitions, of course, that the town has gone through haven't been without certain amount of controversy at different times. Um, did you get any pushback uh, from anyone in the community when it was shared publicly that Worthington would actually be participating in in this program?
1: I wouldn't call it pushback. Uh, at least I have not personally experienced or witnessed any direct pushback from this initiative, but there has certainly been um, some skepticism and curiosity about, you know, what it is that we're doing. Why are we doing it? What does it entail? Um, Because, you know, Worthington is actually outside of the radius of any refugee resettlement agency. You know, refugee resettlement agencies can work within 100 miles of its physical location. And being in the remote um, part of Minnesota that we are, um, we Worthington has not actually received refugees through a ref- refugee resettlement agency uh, in a number of years. So the county, the schools, are relearning or learning for the first time some of the the processes about like regarding what kind of eligibility of public benefits or resources that refugees have. And so a lot of it has been um, figuring it out as we go, but engaging with. With individuals in, um, you know, their professional positions, to um, to determine like what what pathways and possibilities are available for for these refugees. By and large, I've been very pleased with how supportive the community is, and and if that you know stems from an element of curiosity, then it's a great opportunity to to learn more about our new neighbors and the process of refugee resettlement.
0: So you mentioned a bit at the top about uh, what some of the planning process was that you had to go through and, and the responsibilities that you had and, you know, having to create um, these welcome plans that sort of anticipate the needs that, that families will have and what you'll do to meet those. And then uh, the process of actually you know having just seven days to set up a home and get everything in place. Um, and those are things that normally outside of the private sponsorship program are done by these professional refugee agencies who are nonprofits who actually um, do a lot of resettlement cases each year and have a lot of experience doing doing these things. Uh, one of the concerns that I you know I've heard a lot about private sponsorship mm-hmm. is the amount of responsibility that it, it places on sponsors who you don't have expertise or you know a lot of experience in walking through those, you know, potentially really complicated systems and um, also might not have experience with things like, you know, meeting uh, individual special needs or dealing with trauma or post-traumatic stress. Um, So the program is really placing private individuals without that particular training or or background in really high responsibility positions. Um, How would you, you based on your experience so far, how would you respond to that concern? Do you feel like you were prepared for the responsibilities that you needed to take on?
1: As I alluded to earlier, there's been a lot of like learning as we go and some surprises along the way. Our sponsor group does have some very helpful areas of expertise Uh, We have a few social workers um, in our sponsor group. We have retired teachers, a retired psychologist. I feel like very, very blessed to be working with individuals in a sponsor group who do have some some very relevant and helpful skills. Um, But we have relied um, quite heavily on um, the refugee resettlement agency that is kind of serving as our sponsor group's mentor, because um, we, we have been linked up with a refugee resettlement agency that is based out of Minneapolis, and they are available for kind of like technical guidance to assist us with um, areas of resettlement that we aren't familiar with or don't know how to handle because of our lack of experience. And having that relationship has been uh, very, very helpful to us. But I think one perhaps even more important resource that our sponsor group has relied on is the, the experiences and expertise of other refugees who have gone through the process that our family is currently going through. Um, no one in our sponsor group has a refugee background. We have not personally experienced the flight and and resettlement that our family is experiencing. But to connect the family with other refugees, uh, especially those who speak the family's native languages, has um, really put the family at ease and has been the, the best resource in terms of Aiding our sponsor group to you know in facilitating a successful transition and resettlement for the family.
0: It's interesting that you um, you mentioned the role of previous refugees and uh, what they've been able to to bring to the experience. Could you say a little bit more about that? what um, you know what in particular has been especially useful about having them involved?
1: Language has certainly been um, helpful, um, but also like refugees who who can help explain, for example, like the the process of applying for public benefits and what public benefits are. (laughs) We sometimes take for granted that there are these like social systems in place to to as, assist those who cannot uh who are not solely like financially self-sufficient and um explaining that to individuals who are just completely unfamiliar with the concept of public benefits our refugee friends who have gone through the experience and have navigated that in the past have been the most effective in in helping our refugee family understand the concepts of the public benefits afforded to refugees um, upon arrival to the United States.
0: So you're almost two months into this experience uh, right now. What's surprised you most so far about being a sponsor?
1: Some, one thing that has surprised me has been how joyous the children have been from day one. I think the, the adults have certainly been scarred by trauma and are um, still dealing with some of the impacts of experiencing trauma that will not go away in in the short term or just simply by being in a new place. Um, but the young children who are ages two and four are just the most joyous children that any of us have, have ever seen. And that has been... Um, a true blessing in times of, you know, challenge and change and, um, you know, uncertainty. Um, you know, the, the family has, has expressed some uncertainty about whether the Worthington community is where they want to settle long-term. And so helping them adapt to this community, yet knowing that maybe this won't be their permanent home forever, um, you know, has, has required, our sponsor group's kind of adjustment of our mindset um, because obviously we we think that Worthington is our forever home and and live our lives accordingly. Uh, but it's you know that has been an element of uncertainty that we are um, supporting the family in as they sort of figure that out for themselves long term. And helping them them navigate all of the, the considerations when it comes to where they ultimately want to call home.
0: Could I ask you to step back a little bit and reflect on how you see sponsorship as a model? So you're a sponsor, of course, but also someone who has worked in immigration and uh, refugee space for years in your role as an immigration lawyer. Based on your experience as a sponsor so far, do you think uh, sponsorship is a model that could be taken forward in, in the future? How do you think it compares to the other pathways that are available for refugees and what's its added value, if any?
1: Private sponsorship is an excellent avenue in helping address the capacity issues, the capacity shortages in meeting our refugee resettlement targets. I know in this fiscal year, the United States could resettle up to 125,000 refugees, but just in the past eight months, only about 30,000 have actually been resettled. And my understanding is that one of the reasons why we're not meeting those targets is capacity issues with refugee resettlement agencies and just kind of getting those gears um, going and, um, and unsqueaked. Uh, and so I think that if private sponsorship can help unlock opportunities to resettle more refugees in the United States and help meet those generous targets that um, that have been made, um, I think there's real potential. My hope uh, moving forward in phase two of the Welcome Corps program is that sponsor groups could, could work to help resettle um, family members who they might know in refugee camps. When I hosted the info session that I mentioned earlier, there were a number of refugees who attended. And um, their main question was, can the Welcome Corps program help me bring my family to the United States? Because they are stuck in refugee camps. Currently, under the Welcome Corps program, that the model doesn't accommodate, like specific selection of refugees to be resettled, Uh, but I think that if that element could be included in a future phase of the Welcome Corps program, um, there would be significant interest among refugee communities within the United States who are desperate for avenues to bring their own family members who are still in refugee camps around the world.
0: Finally, maybe reflecting on your own experience, would you recommend sponsorship to others? And if so, do you have any final words of wisdom or advice for anyone who might want to become a sponsor themselves?
1: It has been an extraordinarily fulfilling experience on a personal level. And anyone who has the the heart for helping others during a particularly tumultuous time, I would highly recommend um, this experience um, and to be to be a welcome core sponsor. But um, you know, go into it knowing that there are challenges, there are commitments, um, there are many, many responsibilities. And as sponsors, we are often problem solvers, navigating systems that are unfamiliar to us. And, and so I think it takes a great level of patience and love and uh, and respect for those who have um, different backgrounds from ourselves. And but together, uh, it has just been such a a rewarding experience and one that I, I hope many other Americans will will choose to be part of.
0: And I'd add for anyone who is interested in finding out more about Welcome Core or how to become a sponsor, you can go to welcomecore.org for more information. Erin, uh, it's been uh, really been a pleasure and I've really just so enjoyed our, our conversation and hearing more about your experience um, in Worthington. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Susan, for having me.
0: If you're interested in more of MPI's work on refugee resettlement policy, please visit our website at migrationpolicy.org. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of World of Migration. You can find all the episodes for World of Migration and other MPI podcasts at migrationpolicy.org forward slash podcasts, or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for World of Migration. And please leave us a review while you're there. This episode was produced by Yusuf Hamid and Michelle Middlestadt and made possible with the help of Lisa Dixon. Our music is a song called Geographer by Bright Idea. And my name is Susan Fratsky. Thanks again for listening.